Turn your Bibles to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. We're going to be in chapter 1 and chapter 2 today. If you grab the Pew Bible in front of you or under you, wherever you are, it's on page 553. Walking through the book of Ecclesiastes this summer because it's such a very real and practical book for life here on planet Earth. And last week we looked at chapter 1. And what Solomon does is he looks out and he sees the circularity of life. That history's moving in a, in a direction, but life kind of comes and goes in circles. People come and people go. He says the wind is never satisfied, the streams are never satisfied, the seas are never satisfied. And so things just come and go, but there's never any filling, there's never any completion. Nothing is new, he says, under the sun. He wasn't talking about technology, he wasn't talking about building. What he was talking about was the state of mankind, that there's nothing new under the sun. From Adam and Eve up to today, we've all been searching for something. We've all been looking for something. And so Solomon looks out and he says, you know what? It all seems kind of meaningless. It's all vanity. And that word for vanity means a breath or a vapor. It says he looks out and he's trying to find some meaning in what he sees. And at the end of the day, he just comes up empty. As the Rolling Stones would sing, I can't get no satisfaction. And that's exactly the song of Solomon. I can't get no satisfaction. Solomon is not depressed. He's not looking out and saying, whoa, this is terrible, but he's a realist. He's looking out at at life on planet Earth, and he he looks at it in a very real way. And so after this uh, observation, he says, you know, there's really nothing uh, new under the sun. He starts to run some experiments. And in uh, chapter uh, 1, verse 13, he says this, I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. And so what he does is, he starts out, he says, I applied. What he's saying is, let's go on a journey. He said, I just looked out and everything's meaningless. It's all a vapor. But I want to figure this out. I want to have a little better understanding of what's going on. And so he says, I seek and I search. And and really what that phrase means is it's a comprehensive investigation. What he's doing is he's using his position as the king of Israel to get to the root of what's going on. So what he did was seek and search as he's really exploring and he's really doing some experiments. And so what Solomon says is, if I look out and I see everything, maybe if I do some experiments and I put some things in and I look around, I will find the solution. And so what he does is he explores. And so today we're going to explore with Solomon the things that he explored and he investigates and kind of like a scientist is looking at the things of the earth. And so the very first thing he does is He explores the pursuit of wisdom. And so in his life, he says, you know, the first thing is, maybe if I look, wisdom will fill up. And so he takes that and he puts it into his little experiment and he looks around and he says, maybe if I get wise, if I have some education, if I have some intellectual pursuits, they will satisfy my deepest needs. But look what he says in verse 14. He says, I've seen everything that's done under the sun, chapter one, and behold, it is all vanity and a striving after the wind. And so Solomon does this experiment. He says, well, maybe if I just get the smarts, if I just study hard enough, if I just learn enough, then I will find the meaning that I'm looking for. But he says it's limited. It's still a striving after the wind. Verse 15, he says this, what is crooked cannot be made straight and what is lacking cannot be counted. Remember, Solomon is a realist out at life at planet earth and he says look this is just the way some things are and in our lives we just have to come to that place sometimes where we say lord this is just how it is it's not going to change i can't 
change it. This is just how things are. We need to become a realist in our lives and say, this is, this is just how it is. How much of your time and energy has been expended hoping for things to be different and they never are? And how long have you been hoping? A year, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years? And sometimes you just have to get to the place and we say, you know what? This is just how it is. And that's what Solomon did. He says, what's crooked cannot be made straight. Listen, gravity will always bring you to earth when you trip over your shoelaces. It just will. And you say, boy, I wish that wouldn't happen. I wish that when I tripped, I would stay upright. But you can bemoan it. You can rail against it. But what's crooked cannot be made straight. Water is always going to be wet. You go out in the rain and you say, man, I wish I could go out in the rain and stay dry. I'm really upset about this. And what Solomon says, you need to become a realist. If you go out in the rain, you're going to get wet. What's crooked cannot be made straight. And so what he did was he acquired all this wisdom, but at the end of the day, it did not alleviate the depression caused by this somber verdict. In fact, what Solomon says is, the more I knew, the more I understood, the worse it became. Look what he says in verse 17 and 18. I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly, I perceive that this is also a striving after the wind, for in such wisdom is much vexation, right? It's that, it's that inner turmoil. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Have you ever found that in your life? The more you know about things, the, the sad, more sad you get. Like you hear things that happen, like even horrible things that people do, and you're like, I just cannot believe people do that. And in your heart, you're just heavy. And in your heart, you're just sad. And sometimes we're just better off not knowing, which is why we need to turn off the 24-7 news channel sometimes. It's why we need to get off social media. It is, listen, it is better not knowing some things than it is to find them out and have vexation in our hearts. And Solomon tells us that. Remember, we have a couple ways we can learn things. We can either learn them by direct experience or we can learn from somebody else's wisdom. And so Solomon's saying, let's go on this journey. I'm applying my heart to this so that you don't have to fall into the same things I do. And so what he says is a chasing after the wind. He has a lot of wisdom. He has a lot of smarts. But he says there's still limitations on the human intellect. And isn't today in our world, isn't the answer for everything education? That's what we hear. Well, you just have to, you just have to learn more. You just have to know more. It's, the answer to everything is education. But Solomon says that's not true. Sometimes it makes it worse because we have more worries and we have more vexation. We have more, uh, we don't have life's deepest questions satisfied in our hearts. And he says, the answer is not just to study more. Listen, do you know any secular scientists who are really happy in life? I mean, these guys that have PhDs all the way down to their belly button, and they are the most miserable people in the world. They've got all the smarts, but they haven't, don't have life figured out. It's not just study more. Because what he says is, with, with much wisdom, when we increase knowledge, we actually increase sorrow. You look around our country and around the world, campuses, college campuses, those, those bastions of learning, those bastions of intellect, they are not oases of peace. They're boiling pots of controversy. They're political activism. It's try-harder humanism. They have weird ideas. They're dissatisfied and disillusioned. Faculty members are poisoning our children. And we say, what's the answer to everything? You need to get a college degree. And Solomon says, no, 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 no. 
You're pursuing the wrong ends. Remember, it's, it's the means, but it's not the end. And so if you're looking for more education to satisfy the deepest desires of your life, you, like Solomon, are going to come up empty. And you're going to say, man, what was that worth? It was a chasing after the wind. So Solomon goes on. He says, well, maybe, just maybe, education wasn't it. So he says, I'm going to look at my little experiment, and man, wisdom, what did it do? It came up empty. So now I'm going to try pleasure. And so what does he do in chapter 2, verses 1 to 11? He puts pleasure into his little beaker, and away he goes. The slogan of our lifestyle and our world is what? If it feels good, do it. If it feels good, do it. And so Solomon began his journey by talking to himself. Now, it's not ever really a good idea when somebody starts talking to themselves, but that's what just he does. Look what he says in chapter 2, verse 1. I said in my heart, what's he saying? Come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. The dude is talking to himself at the beginning of chapter 2. He didn't consult any wise counselors. He didn't tap a, tap a seasoned spiritual person. He plunged it with both feet. And you know what Solomon forgot? He forgot his dad. Remember what his dad did? One day, when the kings were off to war, his father stayed home. And what did his father do? He went up on the roof, and he looked across. And what did he see? A naked woman bathing. Solomon totally forgot about where some of this stuff can lead. I'm sure around the dinner table, David had told his kids, kids, don't do what I did. And how many of us, our parents, told us the same thing, and we couldn't wait to get out and do the opposite of what they just said? And that's Solomon. So here's Solomon. He comes and he says, I'm going to test myself with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. Then he thought, well, maybe laughter. You know, it's not just sensual pleasure. He says, in verse 2, he says, I said of laughter. He said, maybe I will try that. But he said, no, it's, it's mad and a pleasure. What, what use is it? There's a story about a deeply disturbed and troubled individual. And he went to a psychiatrist to relieve his anxiety. He woke up melancholy every morning. And he went home in the evening depressed. His day was marked by darkness and clouds. He couldn't find relief from his anxiety. And so in his desperate condition, he went to seek the advice of a medical counselor. The psychiatrist listened to him for almost an hour. And finally, he leaned toward his patient. He said this, you know, he said, there's a local show at the theater. I understand a new comedian has come into our city and he's leaving them rolling in the aisles with laughter. He's getting rave reviews from the critics. Maybe he's the one who will bring back your happiness. He said, why don't you go see this professional comedian and laugh your troubles away? And with a defeated expression, the patient said, Doctor, I am that comedian. It doesn't work. Laughter, Solomon said, doesn't satisfy the deepest desires of our heart. Pleasure was meaningless because it was foolishness and it accomplished nothing. So what does he do? He acquires and he goes through this whole list. He said, I acquired houses and vineyards and gardens and parks. He has silver and gold. In fact, in verse 10, he says, whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil. And this was my reward for all my toil. And then what does he say in verse 11? Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had extended in doing it. And behold, what does he say? All this vanity and striving after the wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun. So Solomon says, I am pursuing pleasure. We live, in a, we live in a world that constantly pursues pleasure. Again, it's not just sensual pleasure, but it's entertaining. And it's, the, it's escapism. And, it's, and, and the number one sin that we can inflict on our children is boredom. 
Mom, I'm bored. And what do we do? We have to move heaven and earth to make sure they're not bored. Why? Because we're thinking that will satisfy the deepest desires. And so what happens is, what do we, we give something into their life, and guess what happens five minutes later? I'm bored. We just got back from two weeks at Disney World. How can you be bored again? Yeah, but it's been five minutes. It's a pursuit of the wind. There was a man who lived a fantasy life, and whatever he thought of would happen. It, poof, it would be there. So he imagines a mansion, and poof, he has a 15-bedroom mansion, three stories high. He's got all kinds of people to wait on his every need. He says, a place like this needs fine cars. And so he closes his eyes and imagines a driveway full of the finest wheels that money can buy. And guess what? Poof! There's multi-million dollar cars in the drive, and a limousine, and a, and a chauffeur. And so he says, you know, in a big house like this, I'm going to need something to eat. And so poof, there's the finest cooks and chefs that are there, and they bring his, um, these mouth-watering meals, the sumptuous meals to his eyes, but he's eating them alone, and yet there was something more he needed to find to fill his happiness, and so he grows terribly bored. He's got the house, he's got the cars, he's got the food, he's got people waiting on him hand and foot, and he secretly whispers to one of his attendants. He says, I want to get out of this. I want to do some things again. I want to create things with my hands. He said, I'd rather be in hell than to be here. And one of his attendants says, where do you think you are? When we get everything we want all the time, just thinking about it, that is a detriment. It's a what? A chasing after the wind. It's a striving after the wind. And so when Solomon reflects on the real value of what he has accomplished, he concluded what? This too is meaningless. Haven't you been there? Like we just think we cannot wait for the new movie to come out. And people will camp in there outside of the theater all night and they'll get in there and watch the movie. And an hour after the movie's over, what happens? I can't wait for the sequel to come out. Because pleasure is meaningless in the fact that it doesn't fulfill the deepest longings and desires of our hearts. It has, uh, what Solomon says is, I, I put wisdom and I put pleasure and I'm doing this experiment. And he says, and, and pleasure was no more than wisdom in satisfying my deepest desires. I thought getting a great education would make me happy. Nope. I thought entertainment would make me happy. I thought pleasure would make me happy. Nope. But Solomon doesn't give up. The third thing he does is he goes to, well, maybe I need to just make some good choices. I need to have this wise living attitude. I need to have this place in my life where I just start, you know, really making some good choices. And so what he says is, he has this thing, he says, I can turn to consider in verse 12, wisdom and madness and folly for what can a man do who becomes uh, after the king, what has already been done. And so he's like, I know what I'm going to start doing. I'm going to start just really making good choices. And our world is all about making good choices. You know those things that you see on Facebook all the time? We've been doing everything wrong. We've been opening a can of soda the wrong way. You've been washing your clothes the wrong way. You've been drinking coffee the wrong way. You ever see those things? They pop up all the time. How did I not know this? We have been doing this wrong, right? And that's what Solomon is saying. He's like, well, if I just know how to do things right all the time, Maybe then I will find some meaning in my life. And so he says, but there's this great benefit to wisdom. Verse 14, he says, the wise person has his eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. Now what Solomon says is, yes, there is some benefit to making good choices. It's always a good choice to look both ways before you cross the street. He's not saying just run across the street. He's saying there, are, there, are, there is some benefit in doing that. 
living wisely is always better than the alternative. Living like a fool will get you in trouble faster and longer than living a wise life. What Solomon does is he's looking for meaning in in this wise living. And he says, do you know what happens to the fool and the wise man? They both die. They both die. In fact, sometimes the wise man dies quicker than the fool. I have had a handful of people in life that I have known who have gotten lung cancer and have died at relatively young ages. And you know what happens? Or what happened? They've never smoked a day in their life. And the world would say, well, that's not fair. But Solomon would say, yes, but that's a wise choice to do that. But at the end of the day, they both die. There's, that's just how life works out. That's the reality of life sometimes. In fact, in verse 16, he says, For of the wise as of the fool, there is no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been long forgotten. How the wise dies just like the fool. Man, we try hard to keep that from happening. We try so hard to put off the inevitable. Do you know how our culture, uh, we put off the inevitable now? When is the last time that somebody died? Everybody just passes now. Nobody dies. When is the last time you went to a funeral and not a celebration of life? When is the last time you heard of death? We try to avoid it, and we've changed the terminology. We've changed the vocabulary. Why? Because we want to put off the inevitable, and we're trying to find some meaning in this life under the sun. And Solomon says, well, maybe if I just make some wise choices. But he says, you know, in the end, we all die. And we try so hard to prevent that from happening. We try so hard to prevent the people forgetting us. In fact, he says that in verse 16. He says, there's no enduring remembrance. That's why we don't build our tombstones out of cardboard. We build them out of granite. And we chisel our names in there in solid stone, hoping that the sands of time and the winds of weather won't wear them away. Why? Because we try to have this permanent remembrance. Solomon says, if I just make wise choices all the time, that somehow I'm going to find this meaning in my life. But here's his conclusion in verse 17. I hated life. (laughs) Because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. Wisdom provides no better fate than folly. Now listen, it provides a better quality of life, absolutely. But the fate of all is the same. Of course, the wise go through life with a better understanding of what lies ahead than the fool. But both but neither one of them can escape death. So attempting to achieve some kind of immorality through fame and accomplishments is senseless. Solomon says, I just want my memory to live on, so I'm going to try to do these wise things. But what does he conclude? Again, the same thing. It's grievous, and it's painful. Making wise choices is painful. If you've ever been on a diet, you know it's painful. It's no problem to eat the dozen of Krispy Kreme donuts. There's no pain in that until afterwards. But it is painful to have to eat the broccoli and the Brussels sprouts. Because why? Those things are grievous, Solomon said. So he says, okay, I know that in my little beaker I put um, wisdom and I put pleasure and then I'm making right choices for everything and that's not working. Maybe I have found the answer. The fourth thing he says is work. He says, well, maybe I've just been pursuing the wrong thing. And so what I'm going to do is in my little experiment, I'm going to put work in there. And so he, in verses 18 to 26, he has this whole experiment with work. You remember, he's trying to search for a meaning. 
And what he says is, I hated my labor. Why? Because what he accumulated would survive him and he would have no control over what he accumulated or how it would be used after his death. The person who inherited it would not work for it and would have no appreciation for it and maybe a fool and squander all that he worked for. Solomon was a smart guy. We're not so smart. Well, if I just work my entire life and work my fingers to the bone, I want to provide a good life for my children after I'm gone. Solomon says this, if that's the only reason you're working, you need to have a different perspective on your work because what if your children are fools? You say, not my kids. Have you ever been in a room of children trying to uh, settle the will of deceased parents? Everybody turns out to be a fool. (laughs) That just happens. And Solomon says, that's the problem. Some people devote their entire lives to incessant labor. And the, and the justification is what? I'm doing it for my children. But listen, this is no excuse for wasting your life. The children may simply squander all the parents have accumulated. If you are, if you are spending your life to provide something for your children, Solomon says it's a chasing after the wind. It's meaningless. Look what he says in verse 22 and 23. He's putting work into this little beaker, and then his conclusion is what? What has man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils beneath the sun? All his days are full of sorrow, and his work is a vexation. There's that word again, a vexation. We use that word often, but it's that troubling of heart. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This is also vanity. Have you, has your job ever kept you awake at night? Has your job ever followed you home? Emails and texts, and phone calls. That's exactly what Solomon is saying. We spend our lives trying to find meaning, and we try to find uh, this pursuit under the sun, and what he says is, it's a vexation. It is, it is hard, and at the end, what does it really accomplish? He says it's also vanity. It's also a vapor. It's, also, uh, it's all a, a striving after the wind. How many entrepreneurs who are starting to, uh, trying to start things just get back in the evening? They get home, and they're like, ah. Oh, I can just forget about work today. Can you name successful business people who leave their work at the office and don't bring it home with them? Do you know there's a reason that Valium is one of the highest prescribed drugs in America? It's because most of the people who are uh, successful and who are ambitious have no way of calming down. Their minds do not rest. I just heard this this week. Do you know what the Sunday scaries are? There was a report this week in the news Sunday scaries. Now, um, if you don't know what they are, and now that I tell you what they are, you're going to get them. So uh, just uh, don't get them after I tell you what they are. It's the Sunday night blues. It's a Sunday stress. No matter what you call it, pre-Monday anxiety is a real phenomenon that seems to affect the majority of American adults. But what's the deal with Sundays, the article says? Even after the loveliest weekend, the knowledge that Monday is just around the corner creeps in, causing us to waste the rest of the day worrying and spend half the night lying awake. It turns out Sunday scaries are an almost ubiquitous experience among American professionals across the generations and industries. 81% of survey takers said they experience heightened anxiety on Sunday in anticipation of Monday. And yes, work worries are the main trigger. 95% of people who experience Sunday anxiety, say it's caused by anticipatory work stress. 
Have you ever had the Sunday scaries? Like, you know, there's that point at Sunday evening, like you're good till that point, and then whatever that point is, like the news comes on, you're like, the weekend's over. Tomorrow's Monday. And we start to get anxious. And that's exactly what Solomon says. Solomon says what? Even at night, you can't rest. Your work is robbing your weekend because Sunday is not part of the weekend anymore. We're already stressed about Monday. Solomon says, what does he do? He says, well, I put into this little experiment. I put pleasure and I put work and I put wise living and I put all those things. And at the end of the day, what does he say? It's meaningless. It's a chasing after a win. Now, listen, we're going to talk about work in a couple of weeks. We're going to talk. Those things are good. Those things are proper and those things are beneficial. But if we are using them to find some meaning in life, if we're using them to fill the emptiness in our life, we, like Solomon, are going to have nothing to pour out. You see, what happens is Solomon tried all these things, but in the end, they proved empty. We do the same thing. Listen, our beakers are full, but our hearts are empty. We are so full. Our schedules are are full. We have to add little calendars to our calendars because there's not enough room to put everything. And at the end of the day, we are empty. Why do we keep doing this? Solomon says it's because you're looking for something that the things you're doing are not going to provide. So maybe we try to find meaning in education. Listen, we've attached far too much meaning to a diploma. Your life is not measured by your degrees. The only degree that matters in your life is 98.6. And at some point, that degree is going to be the same temperature as the ground. Oh, but, but, but. No, Solomon says, if you're looking for meaning, you're not going to find it. You're not going to find it. Maybe it's just, maybe he says, we're looking for pleasure. We binge watch Netflix to avoid real life. We are entertaining ourselves to death. You know, the biggest thing today is we are surrounded by big screens and small screens that haven't brought the satisfaction that we're looking for. We always go back for more. How many of you ever canceled your Netflix subscription after you binge-watched a show? No, because the next season is going to come out, so I need to keep my subscription. And so we entertain ourselves. And intuitively, we know it doesn't find meaning, but foolishly we say, well, maybe the next hit will give me the meaning that I'm looking for. And Solomon says, it's a chasing after the wind. What are you doing? Maybe it's a pride in making good choices. Listen, Solomon does tell us, there's great benefit in living wisely. It is much better not to smoke than to smoke. It is much better to exercise than to be sedentary. But if we're not careful, our wise living can become a God and we seek meaning from our wise living. We live gluten-free, hormone-free, MSG-free, red dye-free, eat free-range organic. Those things are good, but in the end, they're only temporary because it definitely leads to a better quality of life, but it can't avoid the ultimate end, which is death. Solomon says the wise dies just like the fool. Now, the fool may die quicker, but that's not always a guarantee. You see, in the cemetery, here's what Solomon noticed. The Zoom instructor is laid in the plot next to the guy with the dad bod. Both end up the same place. And if you're trying to find your meaning from making wise choices, Solomon says it's going to be empty. It's going to come up. And in fact, you are going to be frustrated You are going to be uh, vexed all the days of your life because you don't want to have touch the gluten and I don't want to touch the red dye and I'm stressed out because I might eat something that's not organic. Solomon says, relax, relax. You're going to die anyway. 
Make some wise choices, but don't try to find your meaning in that. Or we throw ourselves, we throw ourselves into our work. We put that in. We think, well, if I, ju- if I just, right, if I get the raise, if I get the respect, if I get the income that I want. And so we spend our time working for promotions and raises and climbing to the top. And while we're climbing to the top, we're missing out on life below. Our families suffer. Our health deteriorates. While we are pursuing the American dream, we miss out on living in the moment. We worship our work and we play at our worship. And then we wonder why we come up empty. We wonder why the job doesn't satisfy because God never designed the job to satisfy. God never designed pleasure to satisfy. God never designed education to satisfy. And you say, well, I look at life and I'm putting all these things in. And so maybe this search for satisfaction, listen, maybe this search for satisfaction is not a bug in us, but it's a feature. Maybe the search for satisfaction is not a bug in our hardware, but it's a feature that God has put into us. Why? Because God has put into each of us a search, uh, a longing to find meaning. It is part of who we are as human beings. He has put that in us as part of our createdness. And so all of us are searching for something more. All of us are searching for something that's not the wind. And it's something that's permanent. And it's something that's lasting. Well, why would God put that into us? It is because that restless satisfaction should drive us to God. And not the pursuits of things that are under the sun. God has appointed us the unhappy business of the restless quest for meaning under the sun. See the difference? Solomon says over and over and over and over again, five times alone in this section, he uses the word under the sun. We are frustrated by our desire for the unattainable. You ever play laser light with your cat? What happens when you get when the light, when the cat gets to the light? What do you do? You move it and the cat and the cat and the cat and the cat. And that's how we are with life. It's pleasure and it's work and it's choices and it's education. And we're going and we never catch the thing we're looking for. It's because God never designed those things to satisfy. He's the only thing we can catch that we are looking for. It's not that we're not to seek meaning. It's that we're not to seek meaning in the things that are fleeting like the wind and like the seas and like the things that are here today and gone tomorrow. The futility, Solomon says, of all of our efforts, everything visible is meaningless. There's little we can do in the light of the fixed nature of things, he says. Oh, but look at what he says. Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verses 24. This verse is on your notes. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. Now, Solomon, you're sounding a little schizophrenic here. You just said your toil was meaningless. But now you're saying to find enjoyment in your toil. This also, I, said, I saw, is from the hand of God. Now, this is where he finds his conclusion. For apart from him, you should underline that, apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? For to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy. But to the sinner, he has given the business of gathering and collecting only to give to one who pleases God. This is also a vanity and a striving after the wind. Did you see what Solomon said right in the middle? Unless God is in the middle of it, it's impossible to have lasting enjoyment with anything under the sun. Solomon, in his conclusion, says, I did all these experiments, and here's what I found out. I was trying to find meaning into things that are fleeting. 
But if I find my meaning in the one who is not under the sun, but the one who is above the sun, then I will find what I am looking for. We have the idea that the world is the one who gives us enjoyment, and God's the one who clubs us when we have fun. Some of you have been raised in churches like that. Don't have fun, because God is stern. And if you have fun, that means you are dancing with the devil. And where do we get that idea? It didn't come from God. God is the one who enables us to enjoy. In fact, that's what 1 Timothy chapter 6 says. As for the riches, not to teach them not to be haughty, but it is God who what? Richly provides us as everything to enjoy. We've got it all backwards. It's not the world who gives us enjoyment, but it's God who gives us enjoyment. He wants us to have fun. Have you ever been in a group of believers and you were just doing whatever, just being silly and... And you are laughing so hard that you are crying. Oh, you haven't? You're missing out on your Christian life then. You need to get with it. We should have the most fun with believers than anybody else in the world. Most believers look like they've been weaned on pickle juice and sour lemons. Why do we go to the world for entertainment? Because most Christians are boring. They just are. I won't want to be around half the Christians either. They're just no fun. But God says, when you have me, you can have fun because you don't have the entertainment of the world. You have me. And so when you are with me and when you're with my people, that's when you truly have what you are looking for. That's truly it. We don't have to go to the world. We should be able to find it in the kingdom of God, the enjoyment that we are looking for. And I know what you're thinking. Yeah, that's, yeah, right. Because we've missed it, folks. We've missed it. Being with other believers, those who know Jesus, it should be the most entertaining and the most, the most uh, fun times. And Solomon looked at laughter. It should be the, mo- the times we'd laugh. There's nothing wrong with that. And we think somehow that God is unhappy with us. Do you know God's unhappy with us when we're not happy in him? When we try to find our joy in the world? Anyone preoccupied with amassing wealth, Solomon says, and, enjoy, and enjoys, ignores the natural enjoyment of life is a fool. It's okay to enjoy life. It's not okay to sin It's not okay to do all those things. But Solomon says, I looked for enjoyment in all those things. And what I found was it's truly in God. You see, we're really living on the second floor of a three-story universe. There is life above the sun. There's life on the earth under the sun. And there's life under, or there's uh, not life, but there's death under the earth. That's Solomon's view of the world. There's under the earth, which is death. There's under the sun, which is where we are. And there's above the sun, which is with God. And he says, if all we're doing is living under, this, under the sun on planet earth, he said, we're all going to eventually end up under the earth, but we're not going to find the meaning that we're looking for. Now, what if there was someone who lived above the sun who came to earth, went under the earth, came back on the earth, and ascended back above the sun. What if there was someone like that? Would you follow him? There is. His name's Jesus. 
He left heaven. He came to earth. He was crucified, died, and was buried. He rose again, and then he ascended back to heaven. Jesus has lived in all those stories, and he knows how to do life. Jesus makes all the difference in life under the sun. If you don't have the living Lord in your life, you're not going to have the right perspective on life. If you don't have Jesus as the center of your plans, you are facing miles and miles of bad road. You just are. If you remove God, you remove enjoyment and purpose and direction and meaning and anything connected with eternal life. What are we left with if we don't have Jesus as the center of of our search for, for meaning? We are left with sleepless nights and nothing to show for it when they put us in the box. Jesus, listen, Jesus makes all the difference in the world. And Solomon went on this crusade, and he was trying to find all these things. And we have something better than Solomon did. We have Jesus. He was just a prophecy when, Jesus, when Solomon lived. But we actually have him, and we have much better. And so we put Jesus in the mix. All those things that we're pursuing suddenly find meaning. They, they suddenly satisfy us. It's because I'm not looking at them as the ends. I'm just looking at them as the means. Augustine said this, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. That is a design feature of what it means to be made in God's image, that we are restless in this life. And so if God will let me try to pursue meaning in my work, God will allow me to try to pursue meaning in my education, in my degrees. God will allow me to experience all kinds of pleasures looking for me. He will allow me to do that. But what will happen is I will never be satisfied. Those things always come up empty. You know, a one-night stand is a farce. There is never one one one-night stand. There's a two-night stand, then there's the third-night stand, then there's a fourth-night stand, and the fifth-night stand. They're all with five different people. But why didn't it satisfy? Because it always comes up empty. And that's how God designed us. God designed us to be restless because he wants us to find our hope in him. So we throw in work, and we throw in pleasure, and we throw in all kinds of things. Are you restless today? Are you feeling just like there's no satisfaction in life? Are you feeling like Solomon that, what is the difference? It's all a striving after the wind. It's just, it's just vanity. It's just this vapor. And God says, I am the one who can provide the meaning to your life. This is for any person At any age, this isn't just for adults, this is for kids, because as kids, we can try to find meaning in our school, in our friends, in our sports, in our hobbies. We can try to find meaning for that, and we are left unhappy and dissatisfied, and we are just vexed. What if I don't make the team? What if I don't make the honor roll? What if I don't make this? What if I don't do that? What if, what if, what if, what if? And God says, relax. (laughs) So what if you don't? I got you. Your worth isn't tied into your accomplishments. Your worth isn't tied to your degrees. Your worth isn't tied to the trophies that are on the wall. Your worth is tied to me. I'll let you pursue all those things. I will. But I'll also let you come back to me. You know, Jesus said that in Matthew chapter 11. It's a verse we often use, but we don't use it in this context of the quest for satisfaction and just the restlessness in our hearts. And here's what Jesus says. Come to me. 
all you who are weary and burdened. And I will give you more work to do and make your life a mess. Is that what Jesus said? No, what does he say? I will give you, tell me church, rest. Right? Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart and you will find rest for your souls. God will allow our souls to be restless. We can go through life pursuing everything, but we won't truly find rest until we find our rest in him.